If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Ciao everybody and welcome to a new episode of Voices in Data Storage brought to you brought to you by Gigaon. I am Enrico Signoretti, your host, and today we are talking about uh, object storage. Okay. Object storage is one of my favorite topics in uh, data storage. Uh, I wrote about it a lot. I had a paper out uh, uh, a few months back uh, talking about uh, the, the market landscape and the key criteria to select uh, a new object storage infrastructure. And today, helping... Uh, and today, helping me with uh, this topic, I have uh, A.B. Pariasamai. Uh, did I pronounce it well, A.B.? Yeah, uh, approximately. <laughs> it, <laughs> there are many variations of my name, so <laughs> you're right. Uh, it's uh, Pariasami, uh, but uh, as long as I know you're calling me, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Sorry about that. And uh, I also have Jonathan Simon uh, on the line, CMO of the company, while uh, A.B. is... Uh, uh, CEO and co-founder. Hi, uh, Jonathan. Yep. How are you? So the, maybe we can start briefly with a short introduction about uh, you guys and Minio because this is a quite different uh, object storage uh, solution than uh, practically everybody else in the industry. Right. Yeah, so Minio, Minio. Now, now I'm actually practicing Minio because most of the community started calling it Minio, and it makes a lot of sense, right? It's uh, Minio comes from minimalism. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, the what it is, it is an object storage. It's an object storage that is a complete replacement for Amazon S3. And if you are outside of Amazon and you want to store lots of data you want something like Amazon S3, that's where we come in. And today we have uh, grown to be the most widely adopted, most popular object storage of choice. And, and I'm actually seeing more and more uh, Kubernetes, well, Kubernetes takes over the compute side. Uh, we are actually seeing, uh, we are taking over the storage side. Uh, again, it's a broad statement, but at least I can say that in the emerging market for modern cloud native applications, uh, we. Uh, we see uh, by all numbers, uh, Minio has grown to be the most popular choice. Yeah, and uh, you, you mentioned uh, open source and minimalism. Okay, so the, the, these are uh, two important aspects of uh, Minio. You didn't mention performance, which is one of the characteristics of the of your objects store that are uh, well known in the industry now. Hmm. Yeah, so actually, if you notice, right, it's not just us, uh, even for Amazon, they never talk about performance. They didn't start with the goal of performance. But the way uh, I would say that it's true for both Amazon and us, that performance uh, is not the end goal, right? But for any system that has to scale, you have to have performance, just like data integrity is not a choice, security is not a choice, performance is not a choice that uh, you, uh, you can trade off in a modern system because the scale is so big. Even if you built a system purely for archival needs, who wants to have a slow backup, a backup to take forever to save and retrieve, right? Uh, performance is a necessary aspect for any modern storage today. So that's where like we, performance was not a goal. The goal was 
how do you build a system at very large scale it is super easy to operate that's where the minimalism came and performance happened to uh, be a side effect for both amazon s3 and winio but it's mandatory right and uh, what uh, what over a period of time as we started seeing that uh, the the applications became more and more performance hungry uh, they naturally chose winio and winio was fast I was initially surprised to see database type workloads coming into Minivo, and uh, that didn't make sense to me at all early on, right? But then uh, it, nowadays I see our most of our uh, enterprise class applications are database type workloads. And why did they choose Minivo? Because it was high performance. Why was it high performance? It actually it, the root of performance came from being minimalist. It didn't do too many things that was not necessary. It didn't we didn't care about all the legacy things that we that other storage vendors carried. We went back to the drawing board, started from scratch. We did we intentionally by design by design philosophy with minimalism. We chose not to touch any legacy aspect. It allowed us to be fast by default. So, uh, in some way, you're saying that minimalism is a synonym of lightweight and then efficiency. So, you are, uh, you know, the performance comes from it at the end of the day. So, you are not uh, uh, inventing the wheel uh, all over again. It's just that it comes because, you know, the design of the object store is yeah. made in a way that, you know, it, it comes with it. Yeah. And uh, if you also know, like, for example, right, if you see the early days of Mozilla browser, it was like so uh, blotted and slow uh, while it was feature rich. And all it took was Firefox to go back to the drawing board and came with something lightweight and fast. And Firefox was a mega hit. Right. And uh, but. But over a period, and it, how did that performance came? Because they went back and shut off all the legacy stuff and it made it faster. It's very much like that for Minivo it happened. But also, it, we how do you maintain this, right? That's where you keep the design philosophy to the core and you remind yourself that every day because even Minivo can, if I don't pay attention to this, can eventually get a lot of features and, uh, and become like where Firefox is today, right? Uh, actually, Firefox has been trying to improve too, but we are very, very uh, 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 careful about not adding things that don't belong to object storage. And also, minimalism is also uh, something that uh, decreed your success with developers. I mean, you can run it in a container, you can run in a VM, you can run yeah. in a laptop at the end. Yeah. So developers love it. Yeah, yeah. It, it became a side effect, right? Like a, 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 when people were people were trying to run it on Raspberry Pi at home, uh, it, it, why would anyone run uh, on ARM, uh, it, it, a, a powerful object storage? And then you see uh, nowadays routinely the same guys who run Minivo in production at, uh, on powerful servers uh, for their daytime job. They also run Minivo on their home NAS appliance, literally built out of Raspberry Pi. Uh, and they, they, where it really starts is they are now familiar because their own personal use they trust. Uh, and uh, like you, you would actually see a lot of times, right? They would actually, uh, 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 what they use for personal use to put their own personal data on it, uh, that to me is the is the height of trust, right? If I can convince them to that level that you, if you are willing to trust your own personal data on it, then you would trust it 
to put it on the production environment. Nowadays, we see this to be a common pattern everywhere. And the familiarity and the experience, the biggest hurdle in any of the modern technologies, how do you educate the whole world? Right? And it takes a lot of time. Uh, uh, it's not about marketing itself. right? You have to educate them. They have to be expert on a technology, and they tend to stay with it for some time. And uh, all, all the, the minimalism had uh, tremendous advantages uh, in, in the form of intangibles. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned ARM. I mean, you mentioned ARM at home because the developer has, you know, a Raspberry Pi or a small NAS, but actually it's taking the data center as well. I mean, the ARM architecture. So the fact that you have something that can run on uh, smaller CPUs or very parallelized CPUs mm. today, uh, and it's, uh, it's another advantage for this technology. I mean, you can uh, build a power-efficient uh, um infrastructure as well mm -hmm. it uh, it actually uh, that's something that i would like to see in the industry uh, today uh, power is uh, is actually a big concern but somehow uh, like if it, it's not still getting enough attention arm only solves a subset of it while arm i would like to see arm also grow on the server side somehow they haven't gotten the traction but arm is not done yet right they are they are uh, continuing to push i think probably they will make their entry through the edge they got the desktop market through the mobile uh, and ta tablets, but they will get an entry into the server market through the edge computing. I think that's a possibility. But uh, what I actually would like to see is the drive technology taking uh, becoming more power efficient because when you have petabytes of data, a lot of your uh, power will keep uh, will disappear through the drives that are spinning all the time. Uh, or uh, even like you would imagine, solid state should be very power efficient, right? Unfortunately, it's not, and I haven't seen enough even on the roadmap that uh, they have anything in the, in near future to make these things efficient. Right? But uh, but power is an important aspect that storage industry should take care. Yeah, and uh, and you mentioned the edge also, and uh, this is uh, part of the new use cases that we are seeing on object storage. Mm -hmm. So storing data locally where you create it before syncing it to the cloud. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, having this kind of architecture with a lightweight design helps mm -hmm. to address this kind of use cases. Am I wrong? Yes, exactly. Like uh, the 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 a good case here, right? Is is if you see the bulk of the data uh, that is generated, it's actually, it's not generated within the cloud. It's generated outside the cloud. And it would it would be a huge waste to just take all the data and push it to the cloud uh, and then do the processing. Uh, it, like say, for example, from healthcare to uh, IoT, a lot of data generated at the edge needs to be processed before you can put to the cloud. And, to, and this, this data is also critical. So the industry is now looking at how they can bring the same technology that was born in the cloud to all the way to the edge. Uh, and that is where Minai was getting traction because like you can deploy it in the private cloud or public cloud or at the edge they're being minimalist because it's easy to deploy easy to operate and uh, it's designed to fail in place so it, it uh, that simplicity is paying off yeah and, and another important aspect that maybe drives the success of uh, Minio as you mentioned at the very beginning it's the open source side of it yeah I mean it's a uh, we, we, we met the last time at Storage Field Day and yeah. showed an impressive number about adoption, yeah. 
contribution, everything. Mm. Uh, it's massive. The open source part, right? Like the, the way I look at it personally is that end of the day, like it's not, open source for me is not a marketing strategy, right? It's a philosophy and you believe in it or you don't, right? But when it comes to customers, when it comes to business, does open source help or not? Like the way I look at it is, if I give customer a proprietary piece of software or a technology, right, it's something value. And anytime I give value to customers, they are willing to pay for it, right? But open source, nowadays, customers clearly understand that open source is more value to them than a proprietary piece of technology. If a, because they, for when it comes to data, they actually do not want to uh, be held hostage because data is part of their business. And being completely open source, it enables them to put their trust on us. End of the day, all of business is about building a trust, right? A powerful brand around trust and love. And open source has helped us significantly here. So, Jonathan, I have a question for you then. Uh, what is the business model of Minayo uh, since you are a 100% open source company? Yeah, as AB mentioned, you know, we are very much committed to the open source path and we don't have an open core here. Um, what you download um, from GitHub is the same thing that our biggest clients run um, on their machines. Um, so the way that we monetize um, in the business model here is based on the concept of premium support. Um, it's through a product that we have built called Subnet. Subnet is uh, integrates the best components of Uh, think Zendesk plus Slack. It's a very conversational interface. And more importantly, it is a direct to engineering interface. And so the people who wrote the code are the ones who are answering the questions within subnet. Um, it creates a very, very um, unique experience um, that allows our clients to move faster, to build more ambitiously, uh, and to do so with the confidence that they can get their questions answered basically in real time as they develop. And so clients will pay for that. Um, it's a capacity-based pricing model um, and uh, on a you know, price per gig per month. And um, so that's, that's how the model works. And um, we're pleased at the growth of that product um, being subnet, that premium support product. We're pre pleased with the growth path that it's going right now. I see. So it's a similar amount to the to the Red Hat model where you you know it's fully open source company and you you pay for the services for premium services and support. Exactly. Like it's in in spirit it is actually is like exactly like Red Hat but the world has changed quite a bit since like the early days of Red Hat, right? Subnet in in the end like why you pay is because you don't want to lose data, you don't want to have a data breach. And Subnet is is the customer experience that that when you pay It's subnet itself. The name comes from subscription network. And when you pay for the subscription, it creates, it builds a network between us and the customer. So it's a continuous engagement model that how, what cost, a paying customer experiences throughout the life cycle uh, of the subscription. And the, the, there's only one goal. I don't want you to lose data. I don't want you to have a data breach. And how do you achieve this with the least cost, right? Least cost includes talent, people, everything, right? Like if it's complex, you're going to lose a lot of money. So all of this is in, achieved in an efficient way. And subnet is essentially something that support like service. We turned it into a product uh, in, a, in the form of service. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, so um, we already talked about minimalism, uh, open source, and uh, and of course uh, how your um, you know support your customers. Yeah. But uh, um, we never mentioned scalability. I mean, uh, I don't want to to be the mm-hmm. headfields advocate here, but uh, uh, minimalism. It's not uh, uh, often a synonym of huge. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you support uh, large installations then? Yes. So the the idea of minimalism it sounds uh, like a paradox, right? But it is actually not. Uh, it, the 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 whole purpose of minimalism why did we why do we have to go here is actually to build very large systems. The the design that we applied uh, we we took is very much learned from the largest installations of like my previous uh, uh, startup called Bluster FS. I saw that how customers like like Pandora and Facebook, like how they built large infrastructure, I learned a great deal from them. And that's where I realized that you do not need to make things any more complicated. In fact, you have to work in a reverse order in a in a sim- in a in a simpler sense, right? If you look at the example, uh, what's happening in the industry. When your processors hit 5 gigahertz, bulk of the power dissipated in the form of heat. You couldn't go to 6 gigahertz. Even 5 gigahertz didn't make any sense. What did the industry do? Went back to 1 to 2 gigahertz. And then instead, they started making many smaller uh, processors as just multi-core CPUs. Same thing happened everywhere, right? When you're, you would imagine parallel ATA, it should be the more uh, modern version of serial ATA, right? But that, that didn't happen. From ATA, they went to parallel ATA, and then when they pushed it further, it didn't work. So they, with all the interferences and noise, they moved back to serial ATA and saw that serial ATA was faster than parallel ATA. Even though they call it serial ATA, you do have some aspects of parallel ATA just the multiple lanes, but end of the day, right? If you see every time when you pushed it beyond some number, you you need you need to go back to the drawing board. That's what happened here too. The cloud scale, we are actually talking about hundred petabyte plus, right? And it's not a, a, a something theoretical today. We have deployments that are going on at this scale, and now how do you reach that very large scale? The only way you can reach massive scale is to keep things ridiculously simple. And how did we achieve that? If you want to build very large systems, don't build very large systems. You build many smaller systems and turn scalability into an orchestration problem. It is, if you would see that uh, pattern taken into Kubernetes heart, right? Industry understood this. I would say by industry, the customers who built large infrastructure for their SaaS applications understood this better than any operating system or hardware vendor. And uh, this this pattern is now uh, setting the new standard in the industry. You build very large systems by actually building smaller systems. I see. And... uh... Another thing that you mentioned several times is Kubernetes, and you're becoming very successful in Kubernetes installation, but actually the relationship between persistent storage like object storage, especially like object storage, and Kubernetes, it's not really clear to me. So what is the the exact relationship between Mini.io and uh, uh, Kubernetes in this case. Yeah. So in the first, uh, in, in the early days, right, it didn't happen naturally. Right? This is something we learned from our user community. The, uh, it, before Kubernetes, 
we uh, the pattern already happened uh, as docker became mainstream and from because minivo is written in go language uh, back then the entire binary was only uh, 20 megabytes now it's still around 40 megabytes it's a static binary my point was it's so simple to run just download the uh, binary uh, onto the servers which has drives and you run them right and why i i actually hate adding unnecessary layers uh, into the system because it is static anyway you can't move the drives around uh, and like elastic uh, floating which is the common pattern of uh, containers that they are stateless and they are elastic that was not the property of storage the drives are stateful and storage server like minivo is very much sticky and persistent on those machines it's a static binary just download and run on those machines life is so simple but that did not happen what what when we started noticing that the download numbers skyrocketed like when it came to kubernetes when it came to the docker containers and the direct binary downloads were small and those and the docker numbers were not even maintained by us it was maintained by the community it I, I, because i did not see why you want to put a, a a 20 megabyte binary into a docker container but what i learned talking to the community was they said that, that this was a fundamental thing that i learned from them it was about automation right like once they said that i immediately understood that where they were going right they wanted the entire infrastructure to be software based and it is fully automated they do not want to deal with storage like how traditional appliance uh, vendors deal with you provision an object storage server just like you would provision node js elastic search or uh, or redis or any other service and if you look at minio it's actually way simpler than any of the uh, databases around right then there is no reason for object storage to be an appliance this is something that community very early on understood and when they said automation right i actually know why it matters a lot in the early days like for me even to just get a raid controller api if linux or the operating system vendors could standardize on a raid api then i could do a raid scrubbing in a, and a, 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 a an automated right there even simple things like drive management and raid a, a raid apis where proprietary and the vendors would give some uh, bulky java application that i need to run on my server and i hated all of them right and now you can see you can run hundreds of petabytes of data infrastructure fully automated through kubernetes the the simplicity what kubernetes achieves is you can run your data infrastructure just like you run your compute infrastructure and life gets really simple you can roll out a production environment in in a matter of minutes like no more than an hour if the hardware is in place this is something quite a, a big improvement in the industry what amazon requires like the, the kind of skills that amazon has how would rest of the industry get to roll out a new object storage infrastructure from grounds up if you uh, if that takes uh, weeks to months is you're not going to actually compete with amazon so kubernetes has allowed minivo users to roll out in a matter of minutes and go to production and they point out the url to their applications and they uh, and they go all live this automation was a significant improvement that kubernetes brought to the table yeah at the end of the day so somehow you're telling me that uh, you can have your uh, instance of uh, minio and it is the ultimate multi tenancy because you deploy your application that uh, is uh, uh, alongside your minio container and and that's it so everybody has the perfect uh, uh, infrastructure the perfect tenant 
to manage and to uh, and even and even to destroy if they need it. So it's uh, the easiest way to to manage object storage at the end of the day. Yeah. So it, you mentioned it, one important detail: the multi-tenancy, right? Here, like there are now uh, it, it, Kubernetes has become uh, sexy, so everyone wants to be aligned with Kubernetes, right? So here is the thing that you cannot bring a old school appliance or even a a, a traditional a, a, a software approach and then put it on a container and run it on Kubernetes, it has to be built in a way that it is cloud native, right? Like here, that multi-tenancy, you can see some difference here fundamentally, right? So if, for example, uh, like in case of MinIO, right? As you roll out new tenants, what do you do? MinIO basically each tenant is their own parts and they just run natively just like you would run multiple applications as separate parts. Uh, you you use Kubernetes to do storage orchestration. This is again fundamental to very large scale. As you roll out new tenants, uh, new racks, new machines, Kubernetes is doing storage orchestration as well. Now, how like how does this work in a traditional system? In a traditional system, when they basically write a simple storage adapter for Kubernetes, but when you want to add drives, add tenants, add users, you still have to go back to the storage system and do it. So storage system is still doing the storage orchestration in a way competing with, with Kubernetes. That is not what Kubernetes users want. They want Kubernetes to manage applications and uh, storage uh, uh, multi-tenant the, the same way that Kubernetes deals uh, with uh, with parts, right? Everything is parts, and it's uh, and you want Kubernetes to do the orchestration and multi-tenancy, not keep as not keep the storage system outside of Kubernetes and write an adapter and claim it is Kubernetes friendly. Right, it makes a lot of sense actually. And mm -hmm. um, Jonathan, I have another question for you. Uh, we, we're talking about the community, the developers, and usually when I think about the developer, I think about this guy with the, uh, his laptop working on this new application, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, uh, there are larger developers, I mean, uh, large companies building software that uh, uh, now use S3 protocol to store their data, okay? And... Uh, did you build a, a, also an ecosystem with these guys? I mean, not just the developers, not just the community, but the corporate developers, the, the big names of this industry. Well, certainly that, um, as we built MinIO, um, we attracted a certain class of developer, and it wasn't the traditional storage and IT um, people uh, inside the organization. It was the DevOps folks. It was the solution architects. It was um, those people who wanted to be able to have access to the levers and knobs um, of their application infrastructure, and that increasingly included storage. Uh, in the modern world where you have Kubernetes as the dominant paradigm. And so um, we did uh, listen very carefully to that community because that community included a disproportionate number of large enterprises that were building very, very large systems, uh, as you mentioned earlier. And so uh, half the Fortune 500 runs MinIO today. And so by listening to that part of the community, uh, it led us to develop a whole suite of features that we probably would have um, pushed out um, a little bit further around identity and access management, around security um, that allowed us to become enterprise hardened probably faster than we would have in perhaps such a more traditional, um, uh, you know, sort of IT focused way um, or just straight developer and community focused way. And so that actually has led us to um, really become um, kind of leaders 
uh, on the security side and on the identity management side, whereas um, that may not have occurred otherwise. And, and to add to that, uh, like it, 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 it's not just the, the consumers of object storage in the enterprise, uh, even the independent software vendors, uh, they, uh, they, they actually appeared in our, uh, in our Slack channel very early on, uh, all the way from Mechison to Cerner, uh, for all radiology uh, applications. Then you see like uh, uh, from Veeam to uh, Splunk, Teradata, Vertica, like they all actually appeared out of the community and uh, they, they were going through a rewrite of their uh, enterprise stack to become cloud native. And uh, as part of the process, what we saw was their development happened on Minayo. It, like it, we joke around internally, it's more, then it's more of Minayo compatible than S3 compatible, but hey, we keep it to be fully S3 compatible uh, and it's important for the industry. So, that, but they have the trust that if it works on MinIO, it must be S3 compatible. And uh, you do see today a, a, a huge amount of enterprise applications as part of their development stack itself is built on MinIO. And nowadays we are working on these partnership uh, uh, cycle where like when we ask them, what's the process to get uh, like mutually certify? They're like, we developed the software on MinIO. We don't need to certify. Let's just like work on the legal contra uh, uh, partnership uh, agreements uh, than technically verifying, right? It, it, this happened over, uh, over the last three years. I think it'll, uh, it'll be a huge benefit uh, for MinIO on the community moving forward. And I think there's a, a, just a take on that is that basically this follows this trend of disaggregation everywhere. So you saw it initially, um, power the decline of Hadoop, really, as you separated compute and storage. But you see it in the verticals of the world, in the Teradata's of the world, in the Splunk, uh, Splunks of the world with Smart Store, where they said, you know, we're going to focus on the compute component of this, the indexers, and we're going to outsource the storage to object storage. Um, and again, Vertica and Teradata with their NAS product has done the same thing. And that philosophy um, to be really good at what they're good at and not to worry about um, the storage component, which is rapidly outpacing their capability set to, to manage um, and outsourcing that to companies like MinIO uh, has been a big driver of that as well. So that's been another angle beyond sort of what I would call the Fortune 500 enterprise is this technology um, elite um, of the Splunks, the Teradatas, uh, and, and Verticas of the world that have also built uh, MinIO into their product and, and use it to power their offerings internally. Um, you know, most famously Splunk, um, their digital stream processor uh, comes with four nodes of MinIO baked in. Um, and we love that. Yeah, actually, it's pretty cool. I mean, uh, if I go to the your uh, documentation website, I see a lot of best practices on how to integrate MinIO with uh, you know uh, other open source projects and uh, but knowing now that uh, you have uh, partnerships technical partnership or even you know uh, commercial partnerships with with others it's very very interesting and and also i know that uh, as you mentioned somehow that uh, um, some products that are available from uh, other vendors are developed on your uh, platform makes you a sort of a standard between uh, you know, uh, S3 implementation outside uh, uh, and mm -hmm. AWS for this kind of products. It's pretty cool, I mean. Yeah, we uh, we have been 
you know, humbled and flattered uh, by that. Um, ultimately, when you know Azure came to us and asked us if we would write the connector from uh, base your Azure blob to S3, um, GCP has done the same. We do it for Alibaba. We do it for Backblaze. We do it for Sand and NAS. Um, and it does. That allows us to become this um, basically standard for uh, modern object storage. And modern object storage is very different from traditional archival-based object storage that the appliance vendors uh, go after that market. But we're really looking at this modern object storage where you're looking at applications, you're looking at Kubernetes, and you're looking at high performance. And that's where we want to be the standard. And we've been very fortunate over the last year. We've worked really hard. Um, we've had a great community pushing us and pulling us into it. But yeah, I think at this point, we have become the standard uh, in that in that area. That's great. So I have a lot. Uh, a last question for you guys. What can we expect from Minio in 2020? The, the, there, there are actually some uh, like uh, huge initiatives happening inside. Uh, I think I would say the the the, the, the two most important things that will happen uh, is uh, the focus on Kubernetes. We will actually uh, uh, significantly invest more. Uh, particularly, I'm actually uh, what I'm more excited is. Uh, that how Kubernetes will hit the enterprise this year, right? And uh, the next three years, that enterprise, whether they like it or not, containers will become common. Uh, and uh, uh, like here, like the, the part that gives me confidence is how VMware has uh, has taken it very seriously and they nicely bridge the IT community and DevOps uh, in a way that they don't have to displace, uh, uh, there is, it's not a zero sum game, both need to coexist because IT has certain responsibilities and uh, VMware has figured out how to nicely transition almost like Opteron versus Itanium strategy, uh, VMware, I think, will transition the industry very nicely by uh, by, uh, in, by incorporating containers uh, into the IT practice. And when that happens, I think Kubernetes will see the real growth. And uh, it is time for us to, uh, to, uh, to also accommodate the modern uh, IT in a way that they are not DevOps, they don't need to spell, learn to spell how to, uh, Kubernetes, but they should be able to run object storage. And uh, that's one of the investment that's going on. That also means like a nice fancy GUI and like all self-service UI. Uh, we are actually doing a lot of investment uh, on that part. Uh, in in uh, in simpler terms, it will translate to if you deploy MinIO on a Kubernetes environment, you got yourself almost like digital ocean like experience in just minutes, right? And that's one piece. Then the second piece uh, is subnet. Uh, like uh, support is something most people, uh, uh, most of the vendors, you uh, leave, uh, leave it as second thought. I think that it that's the heart of the uh, of the business, right? If you give a version to the uh, of the software to the customer, uh, and then uh, then you sell them a license key, and then get money paid, it's, uh, they think that it's, the transaction is over, right? Support is like really twenty percent of the uh, of the cost of the product, and a, a, the whole thought process of how traditionally software is sold has changed. Now it's all about how the installation, the whole sale process is just the beginning. How customers engage with you over many years and how they operate support is the central piece. So we're going to heavily invest towards um, automating subnet uh, and uh, subnet, uh, the, the central piece that you will see in subnet is bringing Amazon like 
experience to the private cloud. Uh, so they can actually uh, 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 like use their credit card and then go onto a subscription and then uh, on a monthly basis pay on a consumption-based model. But more than that, when there are problems in their infrastructure, they should not be learning to troubleshoot, right? We detected this and we told them there was a problem and here is the fix even, right? How do we help the customer to proactively uh, operate a large-scale infrastructure? Those are the uh, places where we are investing heavily. Um, beyond 2020, uh, we will spend a lot more time uh, on uh, in terms of, uh, like how, what you do with the data. That's great. I mean, uh, it's fascinating. And uh, thank you very much, guys, for uh, the time you spent meet with, the, uh, with me today. It was a very, very interesting conversation. Uh, as I said, I love object storage, and uh, Minio is a, a great implementation, innovative in implementation of object storage. So uh, I'm always eager to, to hear from you guys, the development, the community, uh, all around uh, Minio. So, if our listeners want to know a little bit more on Minio, uh, where can we find you on Twitter or uh, on uh, on the web? Yeah, well, certainly um, from a technical perspective, uh, our public Slack channel is one that is manned with um, all of our engineers. Um, so we uh, we're there to support the community in that regard. Um, so you can just go uh, Slack slash Minio. And, uh, and join that public Slack channel. Um, you can also drop us an email at hello uh, at minio.com. Um, on Twitter, we are at at minio. Um, and um, then obviously on the web, it's www.min.io. And um, you'll find uh, basically all our documentation, our resources, our blog um, is all available there. Fantastic. Thank you very much and bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Data Storage, please check out the other ones. Unstructured data management is the focus of a report Enrica wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.